five minutes after 6 a.m. Good morning, everybody. My name is Nahum Siegel. Welcome to a Friday, Erev Shabbos and Erev Yom Tov. This is your Jewish Moments in the Morning radio program. I'm 
שהם מוגן בעתי, הם מוגן, הם מוגן בעתי. כבודי אומר, הם לא ראשים, אומר, הם לא
cross Bye. Oh. 
Rachum, 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 Rachum,
the AM words from the Yom Tov liturgy, the Sarah of Mordechai and David Mati Steinmetz together here at JM in the AM. Achenu before that with Bosh Shabbos. You heard Atavachartanu from uh, an album actually entitled Atavachartanu. Those are also words from the uh, Yom Tov liturgy, of course. Um, Chag Sameach, brand new from Barry Weber, and of course, Regesh Modani opening things up. And we say, oh, we missed a, um, there was a Yaakov Shweki medley in there, right? Yeah. Uh, the Hasidish set was after the uh, Barry Weber selection. The brand new album is entitled Elevate. And again, it's Yaakov Shweki with the what he calls Hasidish set here at JM in the AM. Just give me a second to update this. And there we go. Uh, good morning. Welcome to a Friday, Erev Shabbos. An interesting Erev Shabbos because we will go into a, a Yom Tov directly from Shabbos. Yom Tov in Israel is Sunday. Yom Tov outside of Israel is Sunday and Monday. The next JM and the AM presentation is Tuesday morning starting at 6 a.m. Make sure to join us. After the three days <laughs> and the very late Yuntif ending on Monday night, it'll take an effort to make sure to get to JM and the AM and present the show Tuesday morning, but we will try our best. That I can guarantee you. Uh, anyway, it's a Friday on this uh, June the 3rd, day 4 in the month of Sivan, the year 5782, Tufshin Pei Bays. One week away from the art site of our dear friend Mayor Weingarten. Passed away on the 11th of Sivan last year. Uh, it's Erev Shabbos Parshas Bamidbar outside of Israel. Um, with candlelighting time officially at 8.02. 8.02 is your candlelighting time in New York City. Make sure you know when things start where you are. Today is day number 48 in the counting of the Omer. Day number 48. If you forgot to count last night, make sure to do so sometime today. Again, day number 48. And uh, tomorrow is Erev Shavuos. Yuntif uh, starts Saturday night. On the first day, we have Akdamus and the Aseris at Dibros. On the uh, second day, again, for those who are splitting the Yom Tov between two days, we have Yisker and Rus. And um, and uh, that's the story. And as I said, Tuesday, uh, we're back to a regular schedule, so to speak, here at JM in the AM. I got a, uh, I got a communique from our uh, wonderful friend, Rabbi Kanelsky, yesterday, who is... Um, Um, who is promoting a an idea, a concept, a well, not really a, a concept, but a um, directive that the Lubavitcher Rebbe had years ago. And uh, here's what it says: It says the holiday of Shavuos is the day on which we celebrate the great revelation of the giving of the Torah. On Har Sinai, which took place 3,334 years ago. We stood at the foot of the mountain, as, our, as did our grandparents and great-grandparents. The souls of old Jews from all times came together to hear the Ten Commandments from God himself. 
This year, Sunday, June 5th, go to your local synagogue to hear the Ten Commandments and reaffirm the covenant with God and his Torah. The Lubavitcher Rebbe explained that there is special significance to bringing children, even the youngest of infants, to hear the Ten Commandments on Shavuot morning. Before God gave the Torah to the Jewish people, he demanded guarantors. The Jews made a number of suggestions, all rejected by God, until they declared our children will be our guarantors and we will cherish and observe the Torah. God immediately accepted them and agreed to give the Torah. By listening to the Ten Commandments on Shavuos morning, the Rebbe explained, the words of Torah will be engraved in the hearts and minds of the children, and through them the Torah will be etched within the parents and grandparents with even greater intensity. Thus, the Ten Commandments, which include within them the entire Torah, will become a part of our lives throughout the entire year. Let us make sure to bring along all our guarantors to the synagogue on the first day of Shavuot, Wishing you all a beautiful holiday, may you, and may you merit to receive the Torah with joy and to impart it internally. So that's the concept. That's the idea. Uh, it's been a um, uh, it's been a um, a practice that has been spoken about a lot since the Rebbe brought it up years ago. And I did notice that there are a lot of uh, get-togethers, uh, people being encouraged to come to Tefillah, to come to to davening on. Uh, well, on every day, but certainly Sunday, the first of the two days, or the only day, uh, if you're observing in Israel, um, and to get together and to hear the Esaras and the Ten Commandments. So that's the uh, that's the message I got from Rabbi Kanelsky yesterday. He's asked us to pass it along, and um, and. There it is. So hopefully everyone will be in shul the entire yontif, but certainly try your best on Sunday during the time of the Aseret Hadibrot of the Ten Commandments. Malcolm Holmline is going to join us. He's Executive Vice Chairman of the Conference of Presidents of Major American Jewish Organizations, 7.40 a.m. Eastern Time for the weekly update. That'll be coming up. Harry Rothenberg early in the 7 o'clock hour with words about uh, the upcoming holiday. Rabbi Yudin, of course, later on, and plenty more happening all through the morning here at JM and the AM, the um, the Kedem presentation of the Arab Shabbos show, which is a uh, an extra special, excuse me, an extra special show today with Mark Zamek hosting. Extra special because it's Arab Shabbos and essentially Arab Yom Tov as well. That'll air at ten a.m. Eastern time. Again, presented by the friends at Kedem. Arab Shabbos music mix presented by our friends at Kedem. We'll go all the way until candle lighting time, and then Tuesday morning we're back here with JM in the AM. More coming up Friday morning, Era of Shabbos at JM in the AM.
שם השם על הכגדה ומאוי דוי ועוד לא אבוש טוב. בוא רבו מסכה השם כולם בכחמו עשיסום בולו אורץ קניון אפרו. בוא רכי נפשי יש שם השם על הכגדה ומאוי דוי ועוד לא אבוש טוב. בוא רבו מסכה השם כולם בכחמו עשיסום בולו אורץ קניון שם השם על הקר גדל תמי אוי דוי ועוד לא
Graham in the AM with Gavriel Palkowitz. Hodul Hashem, words we'll say, of course, on Yom Tov during Hallel. Before that, Mordechai Shapiro, brand new with Ashira. I want to thank Mordechai Shapiro for joining me earlier in the week. Yesterday here at JM in the AM. And a, a reminder, check out the archive at NachumSchool.com or, of course, on the NSN app. Uh, or all the variety of other places that it's been posted <laughs> to, to hear my conversation that it took place yesterday with Mordechai Shapiro. He's got the brand new album out. <laughs> Solomon Brothers before that with the Nigun. New York candle lighting time at 8.02 on this Erev Shabbos. Make sure you know when things start where you are. Erev Shabbos Parshas Bamidbar in the diaspora. Erev Shavuos for all intents and purposes. As we say, feel free to comment on the app. Go to the NSN, Nachum Single Network app for Android and iPhone and comment away. Wishing listener Tikvay Shabbat Shalom and Chag Sameach. Malcolm Holmline coming up in the 7 o'clock hour. Harry Rothenberg as well in the 7 o'clock hour. Rabbi Yudin in the 8 o'clock hour. Next time you'll hear us will be Tuesday morning here at JM in the AM. All right. That's our schedule. Galen, it's on the background. We'll do our news from Israel coming up. As um, we listen in on an Erev Shabbos, Erev Shavuos in Israel, as they get set for their two days of Shabbos and Shavuos. We've got three. Galen, Tzal, Israel Army Radio, 2 p.m. newscast for a Friday is next. Boker Tov from JMM. הקטל בדרכים נקבע מותו של פעוט בן שלוש שנפתח בוקר קשה מאוד בתאונת דרכים בירושלים. הצוות הרפואי בבית החולים שערי צדק נלחם במשך שעות ארוכות על חייו של הפעוט, אך נאלץ לקבוע את מותו לפני זמן קצר. ובביתר עילית נפצעה קשה ילדה בת עשר שנפגעה בצהריים ממכונית. המשטרה פתחה בחקירת התאונה. בכביש 505 סמוך למעלה אפרים נפצע קשה רוכב אופנוע פלסטיני בן 21. צוותי מגן דוד אדום הטיסו אותו במטוס, במסוק מעגל לבית החולים הדסה עין כרם בירושלים. ידיעה שריכזו כתבנו יערה אברהם ודורון קדוש. המאבק נגד הגרעין האיראני, ראש הממשלה נפתלי בנט כתב בחשבון הטוויטר שלו בתום פגישתו עם מנכ"ל הסוכנות הבינלאומית לאנרגיה אטומית רפאל גרוסי כי ישראל מעדיפה את המסלול הדיפלומטי אך שומרת את הזכות להגנה עצמית ופעולה נגד איראן כדי לבלום את תוכניתה הגרעינית. לעולם לא נהיה תלויים באחרים, הוסיף בנט. כתבתנו המדינית מוריה אסרף וולברג מוסרת כי ראש הממשלה קרא בפגישה להתגייסות הקהילה הבינלאומית לפעולה נגד איראן הנגידים של הסוכנות להעביר לאיראן מסר חד וברור בהחלטתה הקרובה. גרוסי נמצא כעת בדרכו לווינה. תרופת פקסלוביץ של פייזר נגד קורונה מפחיתה ב-81% את התמותה מהנגיף בקרב בני 65 ומעלה. כך מצא מחקר חדש של קופת חולים כללית. המחקר שטרם עבר ביקורת עמיתים נערך במהלך גל האומיקרון בקרב יותר מ-100 אלף מבוטחי כללית. ומצא גם כי התרופה הפחיתה ב-67% את האשפוזים בקרב חולים בגיל הזה. בקרב מטופלים מתחת גיל 65 לא נצפתה תועלת בהפחתת התמותה. או באשפוזים. ידיעה שהעבירה כתבתנו לענייני בריאות, טל אור מאירסון. 
המשטרה עצרה לפני זמן קצר תושב נתניה בחשד שהתחזה לרופא והצית משרד בקופת חולים בעיר. כתבתנו הדס שטייף מוסרת שהחשוד, תושב העיר בן 33, נכנס לבניין הקופה כשהוא עוטה חלוק ומתחזה לרופא, החל להצית משרד שהיה ריק באותה עת. עובדי הקופה השתלטו על השריפה ועיכבו את החשוד עד להגעת השוטרים שעצרו אותו במקום. מזג האוויר מונן חלקית עד בהיר עם עלייה בטמפרטורות, הן מעט גבוהות מהרגיל העונה, בעיקר בהרים ובפנים הארץ, מחר יהיה דומה. ולסיום, הנסיך הבריטי הארי וזוגתו מייגן הגיעו היום לטקס ההודיה כחלק מחגיגות ה-70 לכהונת המלכה אליזבת, שנמשכות זה היום השני. זו אחת מהופעות, מהופעותיהם הפומביות היחידות בבריטניה, מאז שפרשו לפני שנתיים מתפקידם כדוכסי סאסקס ועברו לארצות הברית. כתבת חדשות החוץ שחר קנוטובסקי מציינת שהמלכה אליזבת עצמה נמנעה מלהגיע לטקס היום עקב בעיות בריאות מהן היא סובלת מזה מספר שבועות. אלה החדשות.
It's Ms. Ikeni, Baruch Levine, Benny Friedman. Quite a selection, to say the least. Before that, Yoni Z, and we continue to pray for his Rafur Shlema after the accident that he had. Uh, I believe he's back here in the U.S. based on what we saw on social media, so keep going strong there, Yoni Z. Uh, Bowie Vashalom opened up the um, 7 o'clock hour here at JMM. That's included in his brand new album. So you could check that out. Um, Friday morning, Arab Shabbos here at JM in the AM. Harry Rothenberg has words about the upcoming holiday and plenty more, no doubt. Here he is on a uh, Friday morning, Arab Shabbos at JM in the AM. Someone sent me a clip from a recent episode of the popular TV show Curb Your Enthusiasm. The star of the show, Larry David, is at his golf club. And a fellow golfer, a friend of his, asks Larry to pray for the friend's father who's dying. Very reasonable request. Who's going to say no to that? But Larry says no. And he explains why. Here's his explanation. What if your prayer were the thing that saved him? So uh, let, let me put myself in God's shoes for a second. Okay. Oh, the, oh there's the son. Oh, the son's praying. Yeah, I need more than that. I'm going to need more than that. Oh, oh, no, Larry. Now, Larry David. Oh, okay. I'll save him. How do you know prayers don't work? Because I'm bald. Now, that's a pretty effective attack on prayer. Listen, I prayed for something, it didn't happen, and is it really going to make a difference? I'm going to pray for a stranger, and that's going to change God's mind? So to answer those questions, let's think about something that's been in the news for the last few weeks, the unprecedented leak of a draft opinion from the Supreme Court. Now, the opinion, if it is finalized, will overturn the decades-long precedent of Roe versus Wade. Very big news, very controversial. And there are a number of theories as to who leaked it and why. But the most common theory is that the leaker was one of the clerks for one of the judges who's dissenting, who leaked it so that it would be published in order to provoke a huge public outcry so that there'd be massive pressure on the judges in the majority to change their mind. And if they do, then the opinion gets reversed and Roe versus Wade stands. Wait, one second. A Supreme Court justice is going to change his or her mind because of the mob, because people are complaining or picketing, which is going on right now. And the answer is maybe. 
That's the intent of the leaker. And even Larry David can understand that. And that's what God tells us. He says, that's how I act. I listen to every prayer from the family members and from the random people. He told Moshe at the burning bush, I've heard the groans of the children of Israel. He didn't say I've heard the groans of the leaders or of the sages. He heard the groans, all of the groans. Every one of them counts. And who knows, maybe it is that random person who makes the difference. It's not a surprise to God if the family members of a sick person pray, but a random person? A stranger's praying for someone they don't know or they don't know well, that's a big deal. Maybe that is the prayer that convinces God. You know, that's pretty unbelievable that that person took time from his or her day to pray for someone that they didn't know or didn't know well. And when we take that time to pray for those we don't know well, it betters us, makes us more sensitive, kinder, more empathetic. So we have an opportunity coming up this weekend. Shabbos followed immediately by Shavuos. Three days in a row if you're living outside of Israel to re-accept the Torah, to do it communally, together, because we are all in this together, and to pray. Now, I can't tell you that if you don't have hair and you pray, it's going to grow back. But I can tell you this, prayers work. Every single one of them counts. Yeah, yeah. 
Tavoid for six days every week. We work hard and struggle just to make ends meet. But once out of seven, we all become kings who greet our boss Amalco by rising up to sing. As we learn and pray, tension melts away. the boss I jump to shop or go to school I'm always parking by a pump but all of the worry goes down the drain when my wife and children join me in singing very from volume number five with Baruch Hashem at Shabbos, the Yom Tov medley done by Mordechai ben David. It's Erev Shabbos, Erev Yom Tov here at JM in the AM. Good morning all. Thanks for joining us. Candle lighting 802 in New York, day 48 in the counting of the Omer, six weeks and six days. We forgot to count last night. Make sure to do so sometime today. It's Erev Shabbos, Parshas by Midbar, at least outside of Israel. Shavuos begins on Saturday night. Akdamos, the Aseris Hadibros, as we mentioned earlier, the uh, Lubavitcher Rebbe years ago issued a directive that everyone should try to be with uh, men, women, and children in shul Sunday for the Aseris Adibros. Rabbi Kanelsky uh, contacted me yesterday to remind everybody about that. 
And uh, we do remind everybody how important it is to be at the reading of the Ten Commandments this coming Sunday. Men, women, and children in shul. Um, some shuls may even have an ice cream party afterwards during the kiddish. Yeah, you never know. You may get very lucky like that. <laughs> you go for the Asaras and Dibros, end up with a great treat. Uh, Akdamos and the Asaras and Dibros is uh, Sunday. Outside of Israel, Yisker and Rus is Monday. And uh, we're here Tuesday morning starting at 6 a.m. at JM in the AM. Again, 6 a.m. is when we... Uh, is when we are back uh, once candle lighting hits later today. Uh, schedule is uh, pretty simple. At 10 a.m. Eastern time, it's uh, Mark Zomik with the Arab Shabbos Show, brought to you by the wonderful people at Kedem. On, uh, after that, it's the Arab Shabbos Music Mix, brought to you by the wonderful people at Kedem. This portion of NSN programming brought to you by our friends at A&H. Abel's and Hyman makes traditional kosher delicacies, pastrami, corned beef, salami, and more. Old world classics, beef, fry, kishka, and more. And modern, better for you kosher products, including no nitrate added, reduced fat, or reduced sodium hot dogs, plus many other unique items. This is the website at kosherdogs.net. Enjoy a 10% discount with promo code radio and try A&H today. And I bet there'll be plenty of A&H being enjoyed this yuntif by so many people around the world. More coming up. It's Erev Shabbos, Erev Shavuos, JM in the AM.
about Torah, the answer is easy to see. Torah brings happiness to all those who grasp it. Torah means beauty and peace. The five books of Moses are brimming with roses. Open your eyes and you'll see. We've never lost it. The Torah connection. He can't buy the happiness key But it is the one who learns Torah and lives it He knows it's what life's meant to be We've never lost it, the Torah connection
words from Hallel, of course, which we'll say over Shavuos. Name of the group is Shomayim. Ruach before that with the Torah connection in honor of Shavuos. Michal Przanski with a song called Torah. Open up those three here at JM in the AM. Uh, welcome to a Friday, Erev Shabbos, Erev Shavuos. Uh, day number uh, 48 in the counting of the Omer. Candlelighting 802 in New York. Make sure you know when things start where you are in this Erev Shabbos Parshas by Midbar. At least it's Erev Shabbos by Midbar outside of Israel. And um, uh, once our uh, day is complete with the Kedem presentation of the Erev Shabbos show and the Kedem presentation of the Erev Shabbos music mix, uh, the next time you'll hear from us will be Tuesday, Tuesday, 6 a.m. Eastern time for JM and the AM. Keep in mind our friends at jewishworldreview.com. You know, it's a three-day yuntiv outside of Israel or a Shabbos plus two days. <laughs> I get criticized if I call it a three-day yuntiv. Why? I don't know. But it's a th- it's been a thing. Um, so it's a golden opportunity to print out a whole bunch, thousands of articles, if you wish, from jewishworldreview.com so that you'll have a... Uh, a plethora of material to read, review, and study uh, over the holiday. Check out jewishworldreview.com. Print out what you can before the uh, holiday begins, before Shabbos begins, and enjoy. Malcolm Holmline is Executive Vice Chairman of the Conference of Presidents of Major American Jewish Organizations with us Friday, 7.40 a.m. Eastern Time for the weekly update here at JM and the AM. Mr. Holmline, welcome back to JM and the AM. Thank you. Good to be with you. Appreciate that. Uh, a big loss for you personally, of course, uh, but really for the greater Jewish community as well. Uh, the sudden passing of uh, Mr. Richard Stone uh, a few days ago. And uh, you, better than anybody, could talk about his leadership in addition to uh, how wonderful a person he was. Uh, I, I thought we'd start with that uh, this week uh, with you addressing uh, the loss, that um, both the personal loss and the communal loss that we've suffered. Uh, absolutely uh, a loss for the community, for his family, of course. Uh, and as you said, he was uh, a closest friend, and we uh, uh, he, he, he was involved in Soviet Jewry from the 70s. He went to Russia, in fact, uh, as one of the shlichim in the 70s. He was professor of law at Columbia, I think, for 40 or 50 years, 50 years altogether, and he was he was brilliant, uh, widely respected, highly rated as a professor, but widely respected as an attorney. He argued cases in his 20s at the Supreme Court. He was um, someone who grew up in the nobility of New Orleans. Uh, his family, very prominent. His father headed a major law firm, and his mother very involved. And on his own, and with the influence of certain individuals, he... Uh, gravitated towards the from community and and eventually ended up spending years at the Mir Yeshiva in, in Israel, uh, Merkos Harav uh, in Israel, and continued learning. He did the whole Dafyomi cycle the last time, and I traveled with him many places in the world, and no matter where we were on Muslim aircraft flying to a Muslim country, there he was with his Gemara to keep up with uh, the Dafyomi uh, whatever he undertook, he undertook seriously. His uh, chesed and stuckab were done quietly, but were uh, manifold of what people know. And he, he just w- was, as a person, so warm and wonderful. And 
as you said, he died suddenly on Sunday morning while he was planning, uh, finishing his the last stages of uh, Aliyah and of getting Israeli citizenship and of uh, purchasing a place in Israel. Uh, he uh, he was chairman of the Conference of Presidents. He was chairman of the National Conference of Soviet Jury. He was very active in the OU and a wide array of other uh, organizations, uh, but contributed to even uh, more. And he will he will be lost. It, it, the sense of loss will be great. So we'll carry on because he he lives such a vacuum that. Very few people could fill. For those who don't know, the uh, the conference of presidents essentially um, you know, there's a lay leadership position. Uh, he he held that as you indicated, uh, in addition to many others over the years, but he held it for a very prominent term. And uh, you, of course, are are the uh, professional end, if you will, uh, of the conference for all these decades. Um, it must be uh, it, it must be unique. Uh, and this is not to belittle anyone else's leadership in terms of the lay leaders. So you've 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 worked with some great ones over the years, but it must be unique when you have a partnership that just clicks, where someone becomes a close friend, and you're able to accomplish uh, so much, and in in a really pleasant environment, or in a, even more pleasant environment, I should say, when you're working with something like that. Just talk about uh, how much one can accomplish when they have a great partner to be able to do so with. Well, it's certainly true, and the really uh, time-saving aspect was that if he would say a sentence, I got the paragraph or word, and, and I would understand the sentence. And sometimes it was just uh, eye exchanges at meetings and things where we, we understood what we needed to do. But he was somebody who would talk truth to power and, you know, would consult. We would uh, arrive at conclusions about how to deal with certain issues. I've been privileged for all the 50-plus years to uh, have the most amazing people as my partners, and I believe it's a partnership. Uh, the layperson is still the boss, and the entire job to, to help make them look good and work with them, and the truth is that they make us look good as well, that I, I had amazing people like Morris Abram, I mean, outstanding people, and Richard was in the top tier of any group that you could put together um, and they come from varied backgrounds that were very non-religious, non-observant uh, to very observant there were people who were right wing and left wing uh, but the truth is that the job requires that you come to the consensus which means you operate out of the center to, to bring together uh, the consensus of the community and to try to reflect it and, the, and to bring the others along where they didn't like on right. some of the issues related to Iran, et cetera. And he was uniquely able to do that because people trusted him. People, you know, saw that he wasn't there for an ideological, from an ideological perspective, but rather, you know, trying to assess what was best for community and leaders trusted him in the White House in Israel. And BB would always ask that Richard introduce him at her conferences because he did such an amazing job uh, with the, uh, the introductions. And he, he, um, you know, if there's tension in an organization between a layperson and the professional, it, it cripples the organization. And the truth is that it's the professional's job to adjust and to be able to be flexible to work with the people of all stripes and different kinds and to bring them together in, in a constructive way for, 
for both of you to succeed. Right, hundred percent. For those of you just tuning in, we're noting the uh, sudden passing this past Sunday of Richard Stone, who did serve as the uh, chairman of the Conference of Presidents of major American Jewish organizations, and uh, as you're hearing, uh, both a professional and personal close friend of uh, our very own Malcolm Honline. Um, you know, we talk about the, uh, the, divide, the divide. We often speak about the divide between religious and secular in Israel. And then this week, uh, we learned of the passing of uh, Uri Zohar. I was curious how you look at his life, which really bridged both of those parts of Israeli society in a unique way. He absolutely did. And I actually met him before he became religious, and then after he became religious, um, or I should say observant, right. and he uh, clearly was religious before because he was inclined to do this, and it was a rather sudden shift, but, you know, it wasn't a mercurial decision because you saw how he sustained it and how he, how seriously he took it, and because he was such an important uh, personality, cultural personality, his uh, his decision influenced many people, at least raised questions for many people about and I'm sure many mocked his decision, but he proved how sincere he was and how this was motivated by conclusions he drew and uh, sense the things he sensed that, that this was the right direct, the right way to go. And until uh, now, he, you see how he influenced people and his voice uh, carried a lot of weight. The media would interview him because he was still Uri Zohar, the top actor at the time. And... Uh, and I think that it's a, it's a, it was a remarkable transition um, that people still marvel at. Yeah, no question about that. All right, some of the news of the day. Uh, what do you make of the uh, meeting between Naftali Bennett, the Prime Minister of Israel, and the Secretary General of the IAEA? Well, it's an ongoing process right now, trying to assess where the talks are going to go, where Iran is going to go, that Israel has made clear its red lines, and that it's not going to shift its position on, on those. The um, I think that we have uh, a critical moment. Uh, Iran threatened to respond to any unconstructive action at the IEA governor's meeting, which is on Monday. Uh, France, Britain, and Germany, I think the U.S., are pushing uh, the board of governors to uh, c- criticize and rebuke Iran for failing to answer the questions that have been long-standing about the uranium traces at undeclared sites. And and the Iranians, of course, keep saying that it's only a peaceful program and that they would respond very strongly to unconstructive actions at the Board of Governors. Uh, so we'll see Monday what happens in the next stage, but I think the frustration level at many places is being felt and most of all, I think, um, you know, Israel conducted a massive exercise this week, um, and one part of it uh, was the Air Force simulating an attack on Iran in Cyprus. They flew over the Mediterranean and Cypriot airspace. They had some exercises on the ground in Cyprus. There were also naval uh, units involved, as well as uh, cybersecurity uh, efforts. This is a meant as a message, but it's it's a practical one, meaning that the Israelis, this is, the I think, the biggest um, exercise overall that's been going on uh, that was ever undertaken, and it uh, involved uh, exercises in Israel as well, 
uh, you saw the trip of some uh, U.S. officials and supposedly also Israelis to Saudi Arabia and the new exchanges there. A lot of this is driven by the threat of, of Iran and the general sense of, of where we're at now. Um, the, the new uh, um, analyses say that they will have enough explosive material for five nuclear weapons in less than half a year. And uh, within a month and a half, they were already up to, up to their third that the level of enrichment, the level of uh, stockpiling is far beyond what people have, uh, have uh, exercised. And the U.N. says that they have enough to produce a, a nuclear weapon, that they're enriching at 60%. They're supposed to be 3.5%. And to go from 60 to 90, which is weapons grade, is just uh, you know a technical move that wouldn't take long. So they have 10 kilograms more than they were supposed to, than they had a year ago. Or three months ago, even they had, I think three months ago was up to uh, thirty three or thirty four, and now it's over forty three. I know these sound like uh, technical technicalities, but believe me, they have real implications. By the way, we should note that if we know about the Air Force Israeli Air Force exercise in Cyprus, then the Iranians also likely know about the Israeli Air Force, <laughs> and you can be sure they were flying planes, spy planes. Uh, um, by the way, you know, uh, there's another thing when people always ask about the implications and the people, you know, the demonstrations in Iran have gotten more and more widespread and they're continuing and they're occurring more frequently, meaning the intervals between the demonstrations uh, less, more bold in terms of uh, willing to stand out uh, publicly and, and attack, calling for death to Khamenei, which is, you can understand is a very courageous move when you're being watched. Yeah. And, and the, um, the the they're looking at the various means right now of uh, 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 the people and how to bring their message because there's food shortages, there's a water crisis. The GDP, gross domestic product, from the, over the last three years is half of what it was. It was four hundred forty-five billion. It's down to one hundred ninety-two billion. It's currency worthless. The people can't buy anything because stuff isn't worth anything, and they don't have food. There's a, a, a massive shortage in Iran, and now you see the public expressions and the West instead of standing up with the people, don't do anything. Don't encourage them. Don't express support for them, which is horrendous. How do we judge success of these demonstrations? Because, I mean, again, I know the media here doesn't report any of it. You're the only one talking about it, frankly. Uh, but, if, but if they are, you know, if, if they are more aggressive or more, you know, uh, if they're accomplishing an even greater deal than they have in the past, how do we judge the success? How do, we, don't, we don't hear of any actual change there, even though people are taking to the streets, as you describe. It's a very good question, uh, both how you measure it, whether when you have a Western press that doesn't even report right. on it. In 19 of 31 provinces, you had massive demonstrations wow. and and continuing demonstrations. Uh, you know, anywhere else, this would have been headline stories. Yeah. And the um, so the measure is, number one, do the people continue, despite the fact that they get no resonance in the West, no expressions of support except from uh, a few people in a few uh, individual countries that, that uh, try to help right. or encourage at least for them to do it. 
to, to sustain it, not to think that there's a, just a, a completely deaf ear to all of this, to their cries. And if you want to change the government in Iran, that's the way to do it. You don't need to go to war. You, the people would do it. And there's less and less support, even in the higher ranks. So the, what I measure is by, by the level of dissent increase going higher and higher in the Supreme Leader's House, in the IRGC, and to see that despite the, the repressive regime and the pressures that are being brought on them, whether there's uh, more, the, the level of dissent is higher, people are waiting to see if uh, Khamenei dies, people waiting for this and for that to see what's going on. But I can tell you within the higher echelons, there is tremendous dissent. What was the world's reaction to the Iranian the seizure of the tankers in the Gulf this week? So they, they seized the Greek tankers, and there was uh, outrage. It was a retaliatory move for the seizure of a Iranian tanker. But it shows how bold Iran is willing to be, because they don't believe that the West responds to anything, and that they're willing to take the risk. Uh, you know, there was no real gain. It didn't, mm. it didn't secure Iran more because they seized the tanker. But it's, uh, it was a message from Iran, don't mess with us, but it was also you know, uh, a thumb in the eye of the West. And, of course, they responded, uh, I think, with, with strong statements, but it should have been an opportunity to take strong action. Do we know when the president, meaning the president of the United States, we know the president's trip to the Middle East is going to take place, and uh, it, 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 it seems like, based on what I'm reading, both Israel and Saudi Arabia are on the visitation list. Any other countries that are going to be uh, included? It's not clear yet. Um but it looks like it would be, I would say, the third week or so of June. Soon. Um, they haven't announced it uh, because, obviously, for security and other reasons and things still being worked out. Um, but I, I would think that's a target time for it. And Saudi Arabia is a big deal if he goes there, right? Very big. If you remember his initial comments, very critical of Saudi Arabia. And if Saudi Arabia will announce that they're going to increase production, I mean, I think there are sweeteners that Saudi Arabia can give that would make it uh, conducive for the president to go there. Because remember, after Khashoggi and all that, the, the very heavy level of criticism personally directed at MBZ, uh, who emerged out of all of this and shows how smart he is and clever that uh, everybody's predictions uh, about his downfall when he has emerged pretty strong. Um, and and uh, do we know if there are other countries that are going to be visited? Or at this we point, I, uh, we, they haven't announced any other countries yet. But I, I would assume that the, if he's going that far, he'll find other places uh, to visit. Um, you know, if if there are opportunities, I mean, there there are talks about some gestures that Saudi Arabia will make to Israel. Or I don't believe that you'll have diplomatic relations. That some people were speculating. I don't think that's going to happen. But. Um, uh, he will pay a visit to the hospital, I think, in, in East Jerusalem. Whether he goes to Ramallah or not, we'll have to see. It could be very interesting. Uh, meanwhile, a week later, the, the the government of the state of Israel is still stable, right? I mean, stable may be the wrong word. But it's still standing. It's, <laughs> it's still there. Uh, with, with rumors flying that now the Netanyahu-Sar deal may be closer than we originally expected, and that you know could make a difference if there is a new election, right? A Sar Likud yeah, arrangement. Correct. I meant Sar Likud. Yeah, not necessarily Netanyahu. Oh, good point. Right. Good point. Um, that we'll have to see. But Netanyahu still, in all the polls, shows that he's very strong. 
uh, Sar denied the negotiations, but he did, when you you know they're having conversations through third parties, so you got certain deniability that he wasn't negotiating with liquidity; he was negotiating with businessmen with close ties and things like that. But the, but I think people uh, increasingly want stability. They're afraid that you know that the government every week is subject to another pressure right. uh, and and some level of instability. And the, um, but again, the polls show that uh, Netanyahu is by far the, the person regarded as the strongest leader. It's America's one and only Jewish Moments in the Morning Radio program. Heard on listeners-sponsored digital radio around the world. Web and NachumSiegel.com and the NachumSiegel Network. And of course, on the beloved NSN app. Malcolm Holmline is Executive Vice Chairman of the Conference of Presidents of Major American Jewish Organizations. By the way, this, um, the book that came out where... It was cited that BB was ready to give up the Golan a few years back in exchange for peace. I mean, the, the truth is that any author could write that about any prime minister, because I don't think there's ever a prime minister that has not considered, you know, whether the, whether there should be a deal regarding the Golan. Is that a fair statement? That's very fair. I think it's, so it's true a, that right. that peace with uh, Syria, you know, when, when uh, Rabin... Uh, uh, we were first people briefed on the Oslo Accords. They asked us to fly over the day before, and we got there just as Paris came back, and he briefed him, and then uh, Prime Minister Rabin uh, briefed the chairman of the conference, Lester Pollock, and I. Uh, and we were literally the first people to know, because his own staff, his chief of staff, who took notes at the meeting, wrote in his biography, in his book, that that's how he learned about what went out. And he said, guys, to, to the... To, Rabin's own staff. You won't believe what I just heard, wow. and uh, um, and he spent an hour and a half. Even I kept asking him these questions about, you know, the implications and the the the, the complications of uh, of, uh, of what they were uh, proposing. So the you know everybody can be feel like they're a prime minister. Everybody knows better as an armchair, but when you're in the position, and what Rabin said to me is, he said, everything you told me that I had raised with him about Syria and about other things, and why these concessions to the Palestinians, he said, you know, the Palestinians and Syria do not represent existential threats to Israel. Iran and Iraq do. I can't fight all four at the same time. So if I can get any of these off the table, it will enable us to focus on the real existential threats to Israel. So Syria has always been on the table, as you suggested. Uh, I think what they had in mind, I think, was different. And I think as time goes on, has gone on, you know, and the obvious implications of, of, and uh, I think even inconceivability today of abandoning the Golan and allowing Syrian troops back up there. Uh, But there were maps, there were discussions, there were intermediaries who went to, to, to Assad to propose different uh, arrangements. Uh, but I can tell you that I, when I went to see Assad and, and Bibi knew before, and et cetera, uh, I, there was no rush to, to reach an agreement and to, to uh, give up the Golan. Let's backtrack for a second. Would Prime Minister Honline have uh, followed up the way Prime Minister Rabin did? As he's telling you this about the four, let's make it two. I mean, the, the way I'm putting it is, you know, take four enemies and make it two enemies to concentrate on those two. Um, I mean, was it logical enough the way you heard it that you said that, you know, you, you might agree to do the same thing? Because it sounds like a, 
you know, as much as uh, you're worried, as much as he was worried about the existential threat that the two of them, meaning uh, the Iranians, etc., posed, uh, none, nonetheless, one has to question whether this was a good overall strategy in the long run. So you have to understand that this came after more than an hour of the most intense discussion possible by asking questions, and he was like a, a Rebbe with a Talmud. He answered with patience everything. I asked why they were giving up Ramallah, why they would do everything, and he gave me answers, and some uh, made sense, some I did not think were were uh, necessarily the, the right approach. But uh, on this, I, I told him that if you create the, at least the context that people will be able to examine this in a different way than it came across you know, to in the public announcement, initial right. announcement to everybody. I said that is a logical context, at least, that people can relate to Which, and then make an assessment. But he was never successful at doing that, agreed or not? Well, from the beginning, I think the, some of the initial leaks and stuff were, were uh, very detrimental, not by him, by others involved in it, who he publicly chastised uh, thereafter. And then, and you know, when you want to reach a deal, if you if you can make a deal with anybody, like the Abraham Accords, it was the fact that it was quiet and then comes out in a in a, in, in a controlled way that the parties control the message, because you also have domestic constituencies that you have to worry about. You have to think about you know the ramifications. And when Paris came back with the London Accords, he actually stopped in New York first. And I hosted a big meeting for him, and he revealed the doc the the. Uh, they planned, but he did it, and I think because he was so tired, he came right from the plane from London to the meeting, and he did a terrible job. And afterwards, he invited me to his room for me to read the actual document. And I told him, this is not the same thing that you said downstairs, where the reaction was totally negative from the biggest labor supporters, everybody. It was negative across the board, and then played a big role in killing it. And the fact is that it was not a bad deal which he remembered the deal he reached with the King of Jordan. Yep. And it was, and he said to me at the time, he said that the problem is that every subsequent deal for Israel will be worse than the one before because they'll always make, have to make more concessions and more. And so often it's the way issues are presented and it's the way, you know, the media um, tries to exploit them or, or preempts the actual announcements. It can poison the atmosphere before you even get a proposal out. I hear that. By the way, you mentioned we're we're talking about Oslo. Uh, we never we never mentioned or acknowledged uh, in the middle of May, Uri Savir passed away, and he was one of the architects of the entire thing. And I know that you you dealt with him a million times. And what, no matter no, no matter what people thought of him and what he was doing or what he was encouraging, he, you can't deny that he was a an, an important person in that era of modern Jewish history very important at a very young age and he was consul general in New York and he did a very good job when he was here. It's true. Ideologically, we, we had many disagreements, but we were very close friends and I sustained the relationship long after he was consul general. Unfortunately, he was sick in recent years and, um, and he, as you note, rightly, he passed away. Yeah, in the middle of May. Um, and uh, I don't know how that slipped by, but I'm glad we were able to, to mention it now. Um, I, I think I have this right, uh, unless I misread the article. Uh, there's a big difference in a lot of ways between Iron Dome and Iron Beam. Am I right about that? Uh, absolutely. I mean, 
Is this true that Iron Dome, which you know is is, um, is so difficult to financially maintain and becomes a burden, so to speak, uh, not just on Israel but on those who are opposed to aid to Israel, etc. But Iron Beam can be can be implemented and utilized to defend Israel at a very inexpensive price. So, um, Iron Beam means a laser approach. Right. Every time you fire. Iron Dome, which means you fire actual missiles, it costs fifty to hundred thousand dollars because it's not just one missile; you have to fire two, and it's you know there's a limited number that you can have on the on the truck, and uh, and as I said, a, a missile, a, an attack missile from Gaza that could cost two thousand dollars because they they're very crude, most of them, uh, and it takes a hundred thousand dollars to take it down. It's not a very good exchange. With the laser, it would be a couple dollars for the electric beam that would destroy um, the incoming missiles. So you reverse the proportion and the cost factors. But, number one, it's not really ready. I think it's some of these announcements are premature. Right. There's a lot of work being invested. Israel's putting $250 million into it. There are some that are uh, working on um, lasers that would be fired from drones. Uh, there are other um, formulations that different companies are working on. No one has yet done it, and there are problems because when you fire a laser into space, there's a lot of interference. You know, people don't know there's dust and everything, and that distorts then the trajectory of the missiles, so it could go left or right and stuff, so you have to find a way to overcome that, some of the obstacles, and it also loses speed then. And uh, now in the age of hypersonic missiles flying fast and higher, the, um, uh, you need a stronger beam, and that is something they are working on. I think the Prime Minister is sending messages that Israel is working on things, and but projecting. It's not a reality. Wow. Unbelievable. Could be a reality, though, in a, in a relatively very short time. Yeah, relatively short amount of time. <laughs> I'm sure people are very impatient, frankly. By the way, one of our listeners points out on the app, and uh, I don't know if this is correct, that only Begin wasn't ready to give up the Golan. Uh, with Begin's, nothing against Menachem Begin, but with his track record of what he did with Egypt, I can't imagine he never considered giving up the Golan. For a I people. think you can certainly say that Shamir would never have given up the Golan. Uh, uh, Begin, as you said, um, I mean, he felt strong attachment, and it would have been would have taken a very strong pull to to give up the Golan. I don't think Rabin, Rabin was not anxious to give up the Golan, and the fact is, during his years, he didn't give up anything, right? Any territory, uh, Likud governments gave up uh, mm-hmm. territory. Yep, we know that. That's for sure. Uh, the health and the. Um, uh, uh, the uh, safety of Vladimir Putin. What can you tell us about the cancer rumors? What can you tell us about these supposed assassination attempts against them? So the assassination attempt is something new, but it's not surprising. Uh, there were reports of this uh, circulating. Also, if you, you look at his face, you saw that the, that um, many months ago he looked uh, different, uh, very bloated face, and, and somebody who works out and put... Uh, his physical condition as a priority it was very surprising, uh, and but already years ago there were people who thought he had uh, he had cancer, no no proof of it, and even now it's been very carefully guarded. 
he does appear in public still, even though in a more limited way. And nobody is sure exactly where he was operating out of the last couple of weeks. So it's it's very possible that there were assassination attempts. As you know, people are increasingly dissatisfied and demure from the support for the incursion into and the, the attack on uh, on Ukraine and some of his other adventurism. The economic conditions in the country are terrible. The, the currency is losing its value. The uh, there's food shortages there too, and the um, you know if you start getting demonstrations and and public manifestations against it, and as they as the body as the toll the body bags uh, toll gets um, more recognition because people don't know that their kids died. They just haven't heard from them. But in many cases, in most of the cases, I'm told they don't know, and that the number is in the tens of thousands. Uh, they have very little tolerance level for that. We saw it in Syria. We see it in Ukraine. But they're not even making a move that would indicate that they want to end this thing. They're not even making a move that would indicate they would, you know, try to figure out a way to to leave gracefully. I don't think that there is a graceful way for him right now. I think the the conditions, you know, the humiliation that they suffered is is huge. And now he needs to show a victory. I mean, they're destroying, literally wiping out these cities in Donbass and the total uh, destruction in, in the wake of the attacks. Because uh, he has to be able to show that he made these territorial gains and show the people that he upheld uh, the honor of Russia in this. But it's, uh, it's not been a great performance by his uh, military. And I think that's a longer-term issue that, uh, that he will have to address and resolve right now. They're throwing more and more resources into this, and it seems that the the quality of their armaments and stuff is not very great. It caused a lot of reassessments um, in terms of the strategic situation in Europe. Wow. Uh, we got to get to our Bayudin here. He rightfully has a, a lengthy presentation today because it is a three-day yanta for those of us in the diaspora. Anything you'd like to tell us as we enter the holiday of Shavuos, a holiday of Jewish unity, a holiday, by the way, we should remind everybody again to, to be on guard in synagogues and Jewish institutions because, after all, a lot of people are going to be gathering over the next three days. Uh, any special message, Malcolm, on this quote-unquote well, error? First, I think your last point is very important and one that we can't emphasize enough. And it's something I know locally people have been meeting about the, you know, with the rise of anti-Semitic attacks and incidents and the, I'm sure there'll be special patrols by police. Every community should be in touch with their local precinct and, and work it out. Make sure that there's a way of contact. Uh, you know, the situation today is, is not good here and, and across the country. And we have to take all the necessary precautions, not willing everybody will be safe, and there's no immediate threat uh, of any kind. But, you know, the Iranians are threatening retaliation against Jews abroad. There are other threats. I don't think that, that, again, anybody should feel that they're being targeted, but we really have to take the steps necessary to assure the security of of our community and to celebrate the Shavuos fully, to appreciate what we've been given, and the heritage that we have at a time when, when it's under threat by so many and they want to deny everything that, that we, the Torah's value and, and see the cultural revolution that goes on. It's a time to reinforce the message to our young people. 
No question about it, and I hope we take advantage of that and do so both personally and on a communal level as well. And I take this opportunity to wish you a wonderful Shabbos and a great holiday of Shavuos. And uh, I believe two weeks from today, please, God, we will reconvene. We'll let everybody know, obviously, what the schedule is. Thanks so much. Have a wonderful Shabbos and a great Yontif. Good Shabbos. Be well. Malcolm Holmline is Executive Vice Chairman of the Conference of Presidents of Major American Jewish Organizations with us on uh, Friday, 7.40 a.m. Eastern Time for the weekly update here at JM in the AM. Malcolm will not be with us next Friday, but we will, please God, uh, have a weekly update two weeks from now. And again, uh, we will uh, update everybody as we get closer so that you're familiar with the exact schedule as we get into the summer months and uh, things get uh, somewhat erratic at times. We'll try to keep uh, the schedule as stable as possible and certainly keep the information coming so that you're uh, aware of what's happening here at JMNAM and the Nachum Siegel Network. This time each and every Friday, every era of Shabbos, with great pleasure, we present Rabbi Benjamin Uden, spiritual leader emeritus, Congregation Shomri Torah in Fairlawn, New Jersey, to address the entire listening audience concerning the Torah portion of the week. Good morning, Rabbi Uden. Good morning, Nachum. Good Erev Shabbos, everybody, and good Erev Yom Tov, everybody. Wow. As we are preparing Baruch Hashem for Zman Matan Torah just those words are so exciting. Matan from the word matana. There's that beautiful song that our little children sing. Hashem gave us a present. And do you know what it was? He gave us the Torah for we to keep his laws. I'm not sure that's the second line, but certainly you got the idea. But it's the whole idea that Hashem gave us a present to think and to value and look upon the Torah as nothing less than a present. Okay, let's try to go in order. This coming Shabbos, which is Erev Yom Tov, so Shabbos we read Parshas Bamidbar. And afterwards I'll try to give a bit of a connection between Bamidbar and Matan Torah that we celebrate starting Motsa'e Shabbat. Okay, so uh, there are no mitzvos of the Tariyag in this week's parsha. We look forward to Yom Tov of Shavuos for while we receive the Ten Commandments on Shavuos, Rapsadjagon says a better term for it would be the Ten Categories, because indeed each of the Ten Commandments has underneath it subcategories, and so you have really all 613 under the Ten Commandments. I'd like to go in order, and therefore let's start with Mozart Shabbat, and that is that every year we talk about one of the unique features about Shavuos, and that is that whereas we know that many, many individuals take in Shabbos early this time of the year and throughout the summer, that's called Tosefes Shabbos, adding on to Shabbos. However, we are not to take in Shavuos early any time, any year, because of 
the term that the Torah tells us you are to count Sheba Shabbosos to Mimos, seven full weeks, and then the Torah actually uses the term that Be'etzem Ayom on this very day, and it must be the next day. So this year, as far as that goes, we don't have a problem because we can't start the Yom Tov until after Shabbos is over. So we, when Shabbos is over, we go from Shabbos to Yom Tov. Now, when we get home, Baruch Hashem, from Shul, or for those that will be davening at home, so what we do is as follows. When Shabbos is over, approximately 9.12 in the New York area or whatever your local Orthodox shul tells you to follow and those who follow uh, others, manim. so I'm not here to give you the time, but I am going to tell you that after that time, we have, first of all, the Hadlokas Neiros for the women. Now, interestingly, there is the following point, and that is, whereas on a regular Shabbos, Erev Shabbos, women light candles, and the Ashkenazic community follows the Baal Halochos Gedolos, which means that with the recitation of the bracha, the Hadlik Ne'er Shel Shabbos, she's already accepting Shabbos, so she can't make the bracha and then light. So on a regular Friday, we know what the women do. They light the candles, cover their eyes immediately so that they don't get any benefit yet from the candles, and then they recite the bracha afterwards. However, on Yom Tov, you're allowed to light. So the mother of the Drisha said, wait a second, we really shouldn't be playing peekaboo with the uh, lights of the candles. Uh, this coming Yom Tov, or any other Yom Tov, right? But rather, we could and should do as the, um, come on, as the Sfardim do, namely, we should be able to make the bracha, Lahadlik Ner Shel Yom Tov, and then light the candles. Many women don't follow this because we are afraid of confusion this week next week etc but just know that there are many that follow this procedure number one and then the next question is regarding shehachiyonu should women say shehachiyonu when they light the Yom Tov candles and the answer is it's best not it's best for them to wait and rely upon the shehachiyonu if they will be hearing Kiddush from somebody else, or even if they're not going to be hearing Kiddush from someone else, they're going to be making Kiddush for themselves, because a woman is obligated in Kiddush just as man is. Before she eats, she's going to recite Kiddush. Let her have the Shekhyanu as part of the Kiddush as opposed to accompanying the candles. So even though there are many women that have this practice, if you were to ask, the better way would be not to say the Shekhyanu with the candles. Now, again, not looking to confuse anybody, but if you do, then I'm going to tell you the proper thing is, and you're hearing Kiddush from somebody else, don't answer Amen 
ironically, to their Shechiyanu uh, in the Kiddush. Why? Your Amen is, quote, extraneous, because you don't need that bracha. And the same way you can't say it's, it's raining outside, it's, it's hot outside, you can't do any kind of talking while you're in the middle of fulfilling your mitzvah of Kiddush, you can't even say Amen. So that's an interesting point that many people should just be aware of. Okay, if you're going to take a nap this coming Shabbos, because you're going to be up all night learning, just don't say that. Take a nap and enjoy the nap. And then there's another advantage to that, because we know one of the problems that emerges on Shavuos morning is, oy, 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 I didn't sleep during the night. Do I say Birkas Torah? So, for one thing, if you slept during the day, as probably most of us will, then you really could, if there's nobody else to hear it from. If there's a sleeper, meaning someone that slept a half an hour or more, preferably in a bed, and uh, they come to shul, wonderful. They will say the Birkas HaShachar, starting with Entilas Yudayim, and Asher Yatsar, Elokai Neshama, Torah, Berchos HaShachar, as found in the Siddur. And you will be Yotze, your brachos, with them. If, however, there was no one there that was sleeping, so you can uh, fulfill the, you can recite Berchos HaTorah if you slept during the day, and uh, if not, then you can satisfy Berchas Torah with Ava Rabba. So there's just a lot to familiarize yourself with regarding this. Interestingly, there are no biblical mitzvot in the Torah regarding Shavuos except for one, which I'll get to in a minute. So before I get to that one, just understand that there are, interestingly, many minhagim. And I think that's so important because we're not only accepting Torah, laws, but we're even accepting beyond the laws, we're accepting even the customs, the minhagim. So, in Simon Tov Sadi Dalid, in the Shulchan Arach, the Ramah brings several different minhagim. One, Lishtoach Asavim Bishavuos, to have um, greens, and some do flowers, in the Beis HaKnesses, and in one's home, Zecher Simchas Matan Torah. To remember that when God gave the Torah on Sinai, He liked the color green, carpet. The, the mountain was carpeted with grass, showing that even in a desert with Torah, you have life. Interesting. So we relive that which occurred at Mount Sinai, and therefore the flowers, the greens. Next, the Ramah brings the minhag of having dairy on Shavuos. Now this is very, very interesting. Let me begin by saying, when the Torah teaches v'samachta b'chagecha, the Talmud understands simcha which means happy and rejoice, which means that one is to have meat and uh, dairy on, excuse me, meat and wine on Yom Tov. Now, there are several reasons given why 
there is some, and I am underlining that word some, because it would be improper to have a total dairy Shavuos. There is the obligation of having meat and wine on Yom Tov. And let's not forget, Shavuos is one of the Shalosh Regalim, a Yom Tov. Good. So, listen carefully. The standard reason given, Moshe comes down, they say, let's celebrate. Moshe says, oh no, I have to teach you how to slaughter the animals, the laws of Shrita. And the Kalim, the vessels that we have, are not yet kosher. They have to be kashered, purged, etc. So, they could not have meat. They had to have dairy. One answer. Secondly, in Shirashirim, Torah is compared to dvash v'cholov, to honey and milk, and therefore we do have some underlined again, milk on Shavuos. Let me tell you the Ramah. Now, the Ramah is not something I am suggesting that you do this, but I'm telling you you should just be aware of it. The Ramah says that just like on Pesach, there's the biblical mitzvah of bringing the Omer, a measure of barley, as a korban. And it wasn't an, an individual korban, it was a communal korban, mincha, brought on the second day of Pesach. It was a measure of barley. That's how we begin the counting of the Omer. Seven weeks later, on Shavuos, we bring another korban, this time, two loaves and these loaves are made of wheat so understand that Shavuos is a kind of graduation what does that mean? we are graduating from barley which is the feed for animals to wheat which is the food of man and so therefore without the Torah when we left Egypt we were like animals and now, with the Torah, we've graduated, and we are like men. Good. So, the Ramah says, watch. We have Lecha Mishnah at all meals. He recommends this for the first day of Shavuos, and says as follows. Start the meal with Lecha Mishnah, as we do every Yom Tov meal. You're going to make Kiddush, you're going to have Lecha Mishnah at the table, and you're going to start the meal with dairy. Now, what does that mean? My suggestion is, for those that want to do this and discuss this with your local Rav, you have your table set with plastic and disposable plates and silverware on it. You come to the table, Lechem Mishnah, and watch. You're going to eat the first course. Let's say, blinzes and sour cream. Okay, now watch. You can't have the same loaf of bread, the same challah that you've used for the dairy with what's coming next. You have a little Dvar Torah, some Zemer, take a little Lachayim, wash out your mouth, and here we go. Clear everything off the table, all disposable, throw it out. What's underneath? Ah, another tablecloth. We set the table now with appropriate uh, dishes for Yom Tov and now we're going to have meat oh, in order to have meat we have to bring out a second loaf because you can't use the loaf that 
you add for dairy, take that off the table in order to have meat. So now we've created the necessity to bring another loaf, a remembrance of the Shtei HaLechem, which is the only unique biblical mitzvah on Shavuos. Good. Very nice. Um, the other minhog is to read the book of Rus on the second day of Yom Tov. There is different reasons for that, not the least of which is Rus was the convert and which her name itself in numeric value is 206 Reish Vav Tov and that means she added 206 excuse me 606 thank you 606 to the seven mitzvot that she had which gave her the 613 okay I forgot to mention that the Kiddush Saturday night is Yak Nahaz, Bori Pregofen, Mekadesh Yisrael Vazmanim, Kiddush, Havdaneir, Borei Milreho Eish. We don't use Havdallah candle, use the candles that have been lit for Yom Tov. You don't even have to tilt them, you can just put your hands near the two candles. And finally, uh, you have Havhaz, Hey Havdallah. Hamavdu ben Kodesh la Kodesh, and finally, Shehachiyonu. Okay, I would like to just tell you the Kriya Torah for the first day is the incredible chapter 19 of Shmos, talking about the preparation for the revelation at Sinai, and finally, the chapter 20, which is the Aseris Hadibros. There are no sufficient words for me to try to explain how important the Yom Tov of Shavuos is. And ironically, and I cry, that this is the least observed Yom Tov among not yet observant Jews. Thank God they go to a Pesach Seder. They thank God they come to a shul on Yom Enorayim. However, they don't realize that our essence and what makes us a people is our Torah. So special. Okay, so I want to just share with you for a moment a connection between this coming Shabbos, which is Parshas Bamidbar, and the Yom Tov of Shavuos. The Medrash at the beginning of the Parsha, when the Pasuk reads, that Hashem spoke to Moshe in Midbar Sinai. So the Medrash says the following, Lama Midbar Sinai. Why in the Midbar? Lomar, it comes to teach us. This is by Midbar Rabbah, first chapter. It comes to teach us. Whoever doesn't make themselves like a desert, Hefker, literally ownerless, you can't acquire Torah. You have to make yourself ownerless. Now what does that mean? Therefore it says, as the Midbar was ownerless. So I'd like to suggest, very interestingly, the Ran in the Gemara Nidorim, Daf Lamid says, we've all gone to weddings and we should continue to go to many more. At the Chosan, what does he do? He puts the ring 
on her finger. He is taking her into his domain. He's now responsible for her, to provide for her. She has to allow herself to be taken into his domain. So what does she do? She makes herself as if, as, as hefker, ownerless. Ah, now she's ready, willing, able to be, quote, acquired. Not in any kind of a demeaning way, just the opposite, the privilege of being an integral part of him. But she's acquired by the fact that she has, quote-unquote, opened herself up to this. The same is true regarding our acquisition of Torah, that it's not only something that I'm doing for myself, for me to acquire more knowledge and simply an intellectual pursuit of knowledge as any other area but no this is a way for me to connect with god listen carefully the zohar says beautifully kuchabricho god orisa the torah and yisrael the jewish people are chadhu when a jew studies torah and he comes to the torah hefker which means he doesn't come with any preconceived notions. He's not studying that they should call him rabbi, that they should call him tambachacham or anything. He's coming because he wants to get close to the Torah and to take in the Torah. By so doing, he gets close to Hashem. Wow! And that's the whole idea that the Gemara tells us. Listen carefully. Firstly, in the fifth book, as Hashem Tira. You are to fear God. What is the S comes to teach us? Rabbi Akiva Larabos You should honor scholars. Why? Because the scholar has the sanctity of Torah, not just the knowledge, the sanctity, the holiness of Torah is imbued within him. And that's why if even a Talmachacham, the Talmud says, has forgotten his studies, the law says, what do we do? We still stand for him, even if he doesn't understand and know that we're standing for him. Because Luchos, the Shivri Luchos, both the uh, tablets, the second set and the first set that were broken were in the Ark because they had sanctity. So therefore, let's understand, as we approach the Yom Tov of Shavuos, we understand that learning Torah is not only the privilege of studying God's Torah but the opportunity of having that close connection with Hashem himself. I just want to remind everybody that we say Yizkor on the second day of Yom Tov and those who have a practice of lighting a Yisker candle, a Yorzai candle rather, on a day that you say Yisker. Today, Erev Shabbos, get yourself a three-day candle. And this way, you don't have to get involved with a halachic issue as to whether or not you can light the candle. It will be there for you to uh, have on the third day, this coming Monday, when we do recite Yiskar. I take this opportunity to wish Nachum and his family and all 
our listeners at Nachum uh, Siegel, JM in the AM, to wish everybody a most enjoyable Kabbalah HaTorah B'Simcha, Shabbat Shalom, and a good Yom Tov to all. Yom Tov of the year. It's time to celebrate the day that Hashem gave us the Torah on Har Sinai and all of the sweet mitzvos that we do every day of the year. On Shavuos, we stay up and learn, eat milchik foods, read the story of Rus, and celebrate the gift of the Torah. Sahara, Udvar Hashem, Miru
Yerushalayim. Little Torah, little Torah, let me hold you tight. Teach me, teach me all the mitzvahs that I may do right. The Torah teaches every Jew. Torah, Torah, I love you. Little Torah, little Torah, let me hold you tight. Teach me, teach me all the mitzvahs that I may do right. The Torah teaches every Jew. Torah, Torah, I love you. Baruch Elokeinu, Shevron Olifodom, V'hivdilonu min ha-towim, Rosalonu Torah semes. Baruch Elokeinu, Shevron That's right, Uncle Maishi with that classic. <laughs> Rabbi Yudin actually quoted from uh, one of the songs that he uh, has in that medley. Figured we'd get it on the air here at JM and the AM as we wish everybody a wonderful Shabbos and a wonderful Yom Tov. It is, of course, Arab Shabbos Parshas by Midbar outside of Israel. Candle lighting at 8.02 officially. 8.02, your candle lighting time on this Arab Shabbos. Um, uh, in the New York area. Make sure you know when things start where you are. It's day 48 in the, count, you know, the counting of the Omer. If you've got the count last night, make sure to do so sometime today. Shavuos is uh, Sunday and Monday. And as Rabbi Yudin mentioned, excuse me, as Rabbi Yudin mentioned, Megillas, Rus, and Yisker on Monday. Uh, obviously, everything on Sunday in Israel. Uh, our Kedem presentation of the Arab Shabbos show with Mark Zamek happens at uh, 10 a.m. Eastern Time. Arab Shabbos music mix presented by Kedem all day long. Uh, next time you'll hear from us will be Tuesday morning, starting at 6 a.m. Eastern Time right here at JM in the a.m. And... Um, Wishing everybody a wonderful Shabbos, a great Shavuos. Enjoy all the uh, delicacies, all the delicious uh, Yom Tov food, and uh, just have a wonderful, restful, and meaningful Yom Tov. I do want to remind you, as Rabbi Kanelsky reminded me yesterday, that uh, the Lubavitcher Rebbe, many, many years ago, said that uh, on the first day of Shavuos, 
when the Aseris Adibros, the Ten Commandments, are read from the Torah, all men, women, and children should be in shul, replicating the fact that all of us of all ages were at Mount Sinai, at Har Sinai, for the giving of the Torah. So keep that in mind, and I hope everybody has an opportunity. I mean, everyone, I, I would hope, would have an opportunity to be in shul all three days, but certainly with uh, the men, women, and children together on a Sunday during the reading of the Aseris Adibros. And I want to thank Rabbi Kanelsky for reminding me about that really beautiful directive and practice. More coming up. It is a uh, Friday morning, Erev Shabbos, Erev Yom Tov, JM in the AM.
right, JM in the AM. Visamachta Bechagacha, one of our traditions here. <laughs> Had for many, many years at JM in the AM. Time to say good job. It's another great tradition. Journeys at JM in the AM.
our brothers and sisters in Israel. We are with you. It's your favorite America's one and only Jewish moments in the morning radio program. Heard on listeners sponsored digital radio around the world. The web and AlchemySingle.com and the Single Network. And of course, on the beloved NSN app. Wraps up an amazing week here at JMNAM. Thanks so much for tuning in. Tuesday morning, we speak next. Mark Zamek coming up at 10 a.m. with the Arab Shabbos show. Brought to you by the wonderful people at Kedem. Arab Shabbos music mix all day long. Brought to you by the wonderful people at Kedem. Have a great Shabbos, a great Shavuos, everybody. Enjoy the Chag. And we will speak, please God, on Tuesday. Have a fabulous Shabbos, a wonderful Yom Tov. Till next week, Nachum Sigal reminding you, remember the past, live the present, and trust the future.